So it seems like the Orioles might have just fixed Aaron Hicks. I'll take that. And I'll take a huge win on the road over the Rays. I'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap a gigantic Orioles 8-6 win over the Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one, including another big day from Aaron Hicks, Austin Hayes just getting hit after hit after hit, and the Orioles' middle relief struggling again, but the O's being able to hold on. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So let's start with an Orioles victory. Final score from the Trop on Tuesday night in Game 1 of a quick two-game series. It's the Orioles 8 and the Rays 6 as the O's win the opening game of this set to get to 45-27 and 27 on the season. And the Orioles, hey, got themselves to four games back of the Rays for first place in the AL East. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from that Orioles 8-6 to victory. The first thing you need to know is Aaron Hicks might just be back to the player he once was, and the Orioles might have literally just fixed Aaron Hicks. Hicks comes over after being DFA'd and released by the Yankees. Cedric Mullins gets hurt in late May with the groin injury, and the Orioles sign Aaron Hicks to kind of be the temporary fix. Well, he seems like he's going to be more than temporary at this point. Hicks in the win on Tuesday night was huge for the Orioles, going two for four with a huge three-run home run in the first inning off of Tyler Glasnow that capped off a four-run first for the O's. Hicks hit it 104.4 off the bat, traveled 377 feet for a three-run bomb to make it a 4-0 game. And then he delivered another huge hit. It was in the top of the eighth inning, big-time RBI single to give the O's some much much needed cushion to make it an eight to six game Hicks goes two for four with the homer the four RBIs and although he only had two hits all four of the balls that Hicks put in play were hard hit balls so he was even making good contact when he was making outs on Tuesday night and that's been a lot of what Hicks has done this year exit velocities of 197 95 and 104 on the night he's been fun to watch so far this year He's now hitting 340 in an Orioles uniform. That's right. Aaron Hicks is at 340 in an O's uniform. When he was released by the Yankees, he was hitting 188. 188. He's been unbelievable. I mean, truly unbelievable for the Orioles at this point in the season. OPS over 1,000. He's hitting homers, he's coming up with doubles, he's stealing bases, he's playing a good center field when he's out there for the O's. He, I think, has done more than the Orioles ever could have dreamed of him doing as a short-term replacement for Cedric Mullins. And I talked about this on Tuesday's mailbag episode, got a question about you know what the O's do 
with the outfield when Mullins returns and Mullins is about to start his rehab assignment with AAA Norfolk. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I said, like, plain and simple, Aaron Hicks has to stay. And whether that means, you know, Ryan McKenna goes to AAA or they shuffle the roster in other ways, Hicks absolutely has to stay on this team. And, you know, these little tweaks that the Orioles made that have been written about since they got him, they seem to have worked. A change of scenery was probably nice. I mean, he was, like, getting booed in every at-bat when he was with the Yankees there at the end when he was really struggling. Whatever is happening, it's working for Hicks. He's got to stick around. And not just as like a fourth outfielder bench guy. You got to rotate him into the lineup if he continues to play like this. It is just fun to watch his career be rejuvenated in an Orioles uniform when the O's needed it most after losing Cedric Mullins. Second thing you need to know from this one, speaking of the Orioles outfield, just Austin Hayes just will not stop hitting. He will not stop hitting. He is leading the American League right now with his average up to 327 after a 3-for-4 night on Tuesday in which he had two doubles and two runs scored for the Orioles. Hayes has just been amazing. He now has five consecutive multi-hit games in which he is 11-for-20 in that stretch in those five games. Six out of his last seven games have been multi-hit, and Hayes is now hitting 359 in the month of June. Now, not a lot of these hits have been homers, but that's okay because he's hitting 327 with an 893 OPS. Has just been incredible for this team. I mean, absolutely incredible when you combine what Hayes is doing to what Hicks is doing, to the fact that Ryan O'Hearn continues to hit. He hit another home run on Tuesday night, to the fact that you got Gunner heating up, you still got Adley, you still got Anthony Santander, who also homered and had three RBIs on Tuesday night. You got a legitimate lineup that the Orioles are putting together right now, and Hayes has just been a huge part of it, and I know there's a lot of good outfielders in the American League, but right now, he deserves to be on the AL All-Star team. Third thing you need to know from this one as we switch it over to the pitching side, Kyle Bradish flashing the strikeouts once again in this game. Now, Bradish has had a really interesting little stretch here in the month of June where he's basically looked like different pitchers at different times, but he's still been effective when he's been out there. That's what makes him so interesting because you see him as a big-time strikeout pitcher. You certainly do. But in his last start, you know, he pitched into the seventh inning and only struck out one batter. And this time he only goes five, yet he posts eight strikeouts. Bradish on the night, five innings, two runs on four hits, eight Ks and two walks, 92 pitches, no homers, just five hard hit balls allowed, and he lowers his ERA to 3.88 on the season. But it's been an interesting June for him, right? I mean, he he has now a 3.86 ERA in the month of June. Started it off with a four-inning start, three runs, seven hits against the Giants with five Ks. Then he has that start against the Brewers where he gives up three runs in the first inning and then just dominates after that, goes four more scoreless innings and strikes out 10 batters. Then his last start against Toronto, seven innings, one run, one strikeout, no walks, and he punches out eight in this one. And yeah, it got a little away from him, gave up those two runs in the fifth inning, could have been more, and he was at 92 pitches, he got hit around. I, I completely get why Brandon Hyde took him out after five innings. But what did Kyle Bradish do in this one? I mean, it was sliders. And it wasn't just, you know, the Bradish we've seen late last year and at most times this year where, you know, the slider was his number one pitch. He was, at one point, almost exclusively throwing sliders. Bradish, of his 92 pitches, threw 44 sliders. Basically half sliders on the night. His second most used pitch 
his curveball with 19 of them. Then it was 18 sinkers, nine four-seamers, and two change-ups on the day. This was an all-breaking ball night for Kyle Bradish. Again, let me say that again. He threw 92 pitches. He threw 63 breaking balls on the night. That's what works for him. And the slider was ridiculous. 12 whiffs on 23 swings on that slider tonight. That was the most whiffs that any Orioles pitcher has gotten on a single pitch all season was 12 whiffs for Kyle Bradish on the slider. He only had 13 whiffs total on the night. 12 came on that slider, but he had 20 called strikes. He was pouring it into the strike zone. And the inning that really showed me that Kyle Bradish is starting to turn another corner was that third inning. O's spotted him a 6-0 lead, and in the third, he walks the first two batters of the inning. The seven and eight batters in the Rays order. Up six, nothing. You just can't do it. And he goes three and two to the nine hitter Francisco Mejia. He's about to walk him too. And he breaks off a three, two slider that he drops into the zone on the corner for strike three. And that's when you realized Bradish finally gets it. That even though, hey, this count might not be a slider count, might not be a curveball count. When those two are by far your best pitches, and your fastball can get hit around from time to time. He has basically figured out that I'm going to live and die with this slider and curveball, even if it's 3-2, and I've already walked back-to-back hitters. He goes to it to get the strikeout, and then what does he do? He strikes out Yandy Diaz with the slider, and he strikes out Wander Franco in a long battle with the slider, throwing basically all sliders to get those three straight strikeouts to get out of the jam. That was the most impressive inning I've seen this year from Kyle Bradish, was that third after the back-to-back walks. I've said it all along. I'll say it again. I think he's going to be the ace of the staff heading into 2024. And it starts like this where, yeah, he needs to get deeper into the game. But those moments he flashes, he looks like one of the best pitchers in baseball. Sticking with pitching, though, the fourth thing you need to know from this one, middle relief pitching once again became a huge issue for the Orioles on Tuesday night. After Bradish goes five, he leaves with a 7-2 to Orioles lead. They go to Brian Baker in the sixth. Who? It was kind of the perfect spot for Baker. He's been better lately, kind of getting his command back. He goes out there with a five-run lead. Your job is, hey, get us through the sixth inning, get to the next guy. Well, Baker records one out. He allows two hits, a walk, and a strikeout. And eventually, all three runners he allows on base score. Now, he leaves the game with a couple on. It's 7-3. to In comes Mike Bauman. Well, Mike Bauman doesn't have his best stuff. He gets one out on a pop-up, but he also allows a hit. He allows a walk, and he leaves the game. And all of a sudden, it's 7-4 to four with the bases loaded and two outs. And the O's have used Baker and Bauman already. They've each gotten one out. They've each been ineffective. And Brandon Hine has to go to Danny Coulomb, who then does give up a two-run single to make it 7-6. to six. Luckily, does get out of the inning and keep it 7-6. And at that point, you're looking like, who's going to get some outs in middle relief right now? And luckily, Coulomb did you know, kind of recover in the seventh inning, and he got it to the back end. But it's concerning right now because Baker looked horrible. Bauman, I still think, has been good. He's just been a little overworked, and he's starting to show some signs of not pitching that well. The Orioles just called up Logan Gillespie that we'll get to. I don't know that they're going to trust him in these situations. The O's, I mean, are they going to have to start going to Keegan Aiken more? Because you also got CNL Perez out there. I don't know how much they trust him right now. Keegan Aiken's had a couple of good appearances in a row. I mean... You're going to see Keegan Aiken, no doubt, on Wednesday because just the way the Orioles had to use the bullpen Tuesday. You might see Keegan Aiken in kind of a high-leverage spot because 
that's who Brandon Hyde has to go to right now. The middle of this bullpen, not looking good at the moment. But the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 8-6 to win over the Rays is that luckily, the back end of the bullpen and the buttons that Brandon Hyde pushed were able to get the O's to the finish line and help them hold on for this 8-6 to victory. Because although when Danny Coulomb came in, he gave up the two-run single, you can't fault him, you know, coming in with the bases loaded. He comes back out in the seventh, retires both batters he faces. Then Yenye Cano comes in, gets three big outs, hands it over to Felix Bautista, who gets a four-out save, did hit a batter to open up the ninth, but pitched around it with two strikeouts to get his 20th save of the season. And I thought Brandon Hyde kind of pushed the perfect buttons in the bullpen on Tuesday night. His pitchers just let him down. I mean, I tweeted it Tuesday, like, I'm excited to see, you know, how some of you try to somehow blame this on Brandon Hyde. I mean, he went to Brian Baker in a, in a 7-2 game in the sixth. He gets one out. He pulled him pretty quickly. Goes to Mike Bauman. Gets one out. Pulled him pretty quickly. Goes to Danny Coulomb, who gives up another hit. And then he goes to Yenye Cano in the seventh inning. And then he goes to Felix Bautista with two outs in the eighth to get the four-out save. He was forcing the issue to try and win this game because Hyde knew how important this game is. Against the first-place Rays when you have a lead and the O's were able to lock it down. Shout-out to Hyde. You know, if you're going to rag on him all day for every move he makes for some reason, you got to give him credit for really managing this game really well when a lot of his relievers did not pitch well and still being able to get out of here with a huge, huge win over the Rays. But it was a busy day even before the game started for the Orioles on Tuesday as they made a multitude of roster moves. Now, to the chagrin of Orioles fans, none of those moves were promoting Jordan Westberg or Colton Kowser. But coming up next, we'll talk about the moves and the injury updates we got on the Orioles from Tuesday and how they'll affect the ball club over the next couple of weeks. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Now, I've talked about Game Time a lot on this pod, but I really like to talk about it because I use this app. Game Time is the number one spot to get fast, quick, easy, flash deals on any tickets to any games, but specifically those Orioles games. Because I'll go on Game Time a half hour before the game. As I've talked about, I live within walking distance of Camden Yards. I don't sometimes plan out the game's going to go two weeks in advance. I can just kind of go when I feel like, hey, I might want to go to the game tonight. And Game Time's got the tickets right there on my phone. I open the app. Orioles are right there. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets. they got these flash deals, right? Like at any given time, boom, flash deal. You might get a $5 ticket to get into Camden Yards. And I know this from experience. If you buy the ticket like 20 minutes before first pitch, you don't have to wait around for an email, worry is the ticket ever going to get to you. No. Game Time sends you the ticket right on the app. You pull it up on the app, and you can scan it. I've done it right into Camden Yards and go see a great Orioles team play this season. And you can buy the tickets in a matter of seconds. It's two taps, and you're set, and the ticket is right on your phone. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So the Orioles win it 8-6 over the Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night. Game one of a two-game set. Huge win for the O's. Hopefully they can get that little sweep coming up here on Wednesday afternoon. But even just getting the one game in Tampa is just so, so big with the win on Tuesday night. But before the win... 
The O's did make some roster moves during the day on Tuesday. And I know they got a lot of you excited early in the day because the first move that was reported by Robert Murray and then it was confirmed by Rockabaco and Andy Koska and others was that the Orioles were designating Spencer Watkins for assignment. Now, Watkins had been with the team throughout the weekend after he was called up to be just kind of an extra emergency long relief arm. He's been on the roster a couple of times this year, has Watkins, but has not pitched for the O's yet in 2023. And he was DFA. Now, it was a little surprising because he did have options remaining and he had been so important for the Orioles in 2022, remember last year, Watkins made 20 starts, 106 innings, had a 4.70 ERA. It was basically league average, but that was huge for the O's, who needed pitching to kind of get them through the end part of that season last year. Watkins had some good starts. You know, they brought him over from Detroit after he was just basically ready to retire from baseball and go be a coach and a teacher, and they got him just at the right time, pitching the big leagues in 21 and 22. And he's been up in the bigs a couple times this year, and I'm surprised they haven't put him in a game yet, but it just kind of happens. But he was DFA'd at 30 years old. Now, it hasn't gone well in AAA this year for Watkins. 26 innings, he has a 7.27 ERA, 20 strikeouts to 17 walks. Now, he was kind of dealing with a cut and a blister on his finger that put him on the injured list for a while, and it was kind of making him tough for him to pitch. So you take a caveat there. But with Watkins, it's disappointing, and he seemed like a great guy in the clubhouse. It's disappointing to see him DFA'd. He could still clear through waivers, maybe, and stick with the organization. Certainly a possibility. I'm not, like, writing this as the end of his Orioles story. And it would be great to still have him in AAA Norfolk as solid starting pitching depth. But what I will say with Watkins is, I, know I tweeted this on Tuesday, he was one of the poster children, really, of, like, the Orioles being able to find a player off waivers or off a minor league signing and at least turn him into a serviceable and productive major leaguer. And they've done it with other guys, you know, a lot of hitters, you know, Ramon Rios, Jorge Mateo, and, you know, the guys. But Jorge Lopez was a big guy, you know, in this mold. And and Yenye Cano somewhat, you know, in this mold for the Orioles. Felix Bautista somewhat, a little differently because he was in the system, but finally getting something that clicked for him. And, you know, the guys like Danny Coulomb and other guys in this bullpen all fit in. You know, CNL Perez all fit into this mantra for the O's. But Watkins was one of the big ones because they hadn't really done it with many starting pitchers. But Watkins seemed to be the first guy they did it with. Then they did it with Austin Voth last year as well. And hopefully they can find somebody else to do it with this season besides Kyle Gibson. Hopefully it, it you know, comes to Cole Irvin as well at some point this season. But I just got a shout out to Watkins. Again, I hope he stays in the system. But if he doesn't, I wish him all the best. Hopefully he can find a future team, can get back to the big leagues and be productive there. But it just became a case of the Orioles had better options this year than Spencer Watkins, which is good. It shows the team is growing, getting closer and closer to being a winning ball club. But that's kind of where it ended for Spencer Watkins. Now, the other move, Jose Godoy was option. You may not have even known that Godoy was on the roster. James McCann went on the injured list on Sunday with a sprained ankle. Godoy was the catcher on the taxi squad with the O's in Chicago. So he was basically the only option. It was very similar to when Ryan Mountcastle was put on the IL last week right before the game. Mark Colesbury was the only other guy there that they could get to Baltimore because he was in the clubhouse on the taxi squad, so they just activated him. Did the same thing with Godoy on Sunday. You could tell he wasn't the preferred option. And the Orioles instead, when they DFA'd Watkins, opened up a spot on the 40-man roster for Anthony Bemboom, who they then added to the 40-man and recalled. Bemboom had been in the major leagues briefly this year with the O's a couple of times, had been playing some in AAA, had spent some time on the IL, spent some time on the taxi squad as well. He actually just got back from injury in AAA, 
Ben Boom is the Orioles' preferred backup catcher if James McCann does go down, which he has. So I would think Ben Boom will be here until McCann returns from the injured list, which Brandon Hyde did say was going to happen probably right after the 10 days are up. But if you're wondering, why did they DFA Watkins and just option Godoy? Why didn't they DFA Godoy if they don't really want him? Well, Triple A Norfolk is having some issues with some catcher health. And I mentioned Mark Colesvary. He wanted a free agency instead of going back to AAA. James McCann on the IL. You call up Ben Boom. Well, if Godoy gets DFA'd, you can't just send him to Norfolk. So Norfolk would have been stuck with, I believe, only one catcher at some point there if they hadn't made the move. Now, they did get Ramon Rodriguez, I believe, up to AAA to join Maverick Handley, who got healthy again. But they would have been really short on catchers, so they're just going to option Godoy and put him back in AAA for a bit. He might even be on the taxi squad now. That's the other thing. You want a catcher on the taxi squad, so that's why you don't DFA him. And then eventually, the next time they need to make a move to put a guy on the 40-man, Godoy would be the guy who's DFA'd, so that's why they did that. On the pitching side, who replaced Spencer Watkins? Well, that was Logan Gillespie, who is back again. He's kind of doing the Nick Vespi of 2022, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You got to find somebody who's going to help out these middle relievers in the bullpen. Maybe Gillespie this time can do it. In nine appearances with the Orioles this year, Gillespie has pitched six and two-thirds innings, five runs, 12 hits, six Ks, four walks, a hit batter, and a home run. He was good in his first couple appearances, then kind of trailed off. In AAA, a 3-5-0 ERA with 19 Ks and seven walks in 18 innings. He's still with the O's because they love his stuff. They really love his fastball changeup combination. They think it has a chance to be like Cole Salser type stuff. That's why the Orioles still like Gillespie. Hasn't quite showed that in the bigs. He has at AAA at times. So we'll see if he can maybe finally figure that out in the big leagues this time. And then just a couple of other news and notes and moves that the Orioles made. Noah Denoyer luckily did clear waivers. Remember, he was DFA'd earlier in the week after the Orioles added him to the 40-man roster this offseason to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. He did clear waivers. He's been outrighted to AAA Norfolk, so it's a really good sign that he stays in the org. The O's can try to work with him to get him back on track to where he was in 2022. Ryan Mountcastle and Cedric Mullins were set to start their rehab appearances in AAA Norfolk on Tuesday. Mountcastle we knew was coming. He should be back soon. Mullins, though, was huge news. That was great news to get on a Tuesday. Unfortunately, Norfolk's game was postponed due to rain on Tuesday. They will play one game Wednesday, and then they'll play a doubleheader Thursday. So it looks like Mullins and Mountcastle will be back in the lineup on Wednesday. Hopefully that doesn't delay their return to the O's too, too much. But we will see. It's great to have the both of them hopefully getting close to getting back to the O's order. And then the last couple of things, Michael Givens is going to pitch for AAA Norfolk again on Thursday. And Dylan Tate, not sure when he's going to pitch again on rehab, but he pitched Sunday and he walked all four batters that he faced in his most recent AAA appearance on rehab before getting taken out of the game. Again, the Orioles need some serious middle relief help, but as I've said time and time again, despite that help being maybe just a step away on rehab and Dylan Tate and Michael Givens, guys who have done it plenty of times for the Orioles before, those injuries just still scare me, and I just can't get myself to trust those guys. Said it again and again, I'm not trusting them to be the answers. I wish they were, and I would do anything for a healthy Dylan Tate right now in the Orioles' bullpen. He's just not that at the moment, and I just can't trust him. But that's all the Orioles' roster news and injury updates from the day. We do have one more of those significant Orioles update to get to, and it's not just that the O's got a huge win over the Rays. The Masson lawsuit. 
actually a huge piece of news came out on Tuesday. Talk about what it was and what it means to finish off the pod coming up next. So in all the hubbub of Tuesday, Orioles get a huge win over the Rays. Orioles make a bunch of roster moves. People thought that Westberg and Kowser were coming up. Stop letting the Orioles dupe you. If they're DFAing a pitcher who hasn't pitched for the O's all year and was just here as an emergency long relief arm, that is not the move they're making to bring up Jordan Westberg or Colton Kowser. Just, just know that. So those two guys, they won't be with the Orioles for Game 2 of this series between the O's and Rays on Wednesday. But the O's without him will still go for a quick little two-game sweep, which could put them within three games of the Rays and would give them six consecutive series wins against AL East opponents. That would be awesome for the O's, chances of getting to the postseason. And it's a little matinee game on getaway day for the O's, a 12-10 p.m. Eastern time start. Tyler Wells takes the ball for the Orioles. He's basically been their ace this season. He'll try to do it again against an amazing Rays lineup. We saw how good they can be in Tuesday night's game. And on the flip side, the 22-year-old rookie right-hander Taj Bradley is going to get the ball for the Rays. In 43 innings this year, Bradley has a 4-1-9 ERA, but his strikeout stuff has been ridiculous. He has struck out 63 batters in 43 innings. You can see why the Rays love this guy so much. Now, he hasn't pitched against the O's yet, so it'll be their first time seeing Bradley. In his last start against Oakland, one of the weirder starts I've seen this season. He only lasted four and a third. He gave up three runs on four hits, but he struck out 11 batters and walked three. Yeah, he recorded 13 outs, 11 via strikeout against the A's in his last start. So it should be a good pitcher's duel on Wednesday. And you can catch every pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of Wednesday's game against the Rays with the SXM app on SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But one more thing to get to before today's episode is over is that we got some kind of big and interesting news coming out on Tuesday from Chelsea Janes and Ben Strauss of the Washington Post. They wrote a story and reported on Tuesday that the Masson lawsuit, at least this part of it, has been settled. Kind of out of nowhere, out of the blue, comes this report from the Washington Post that the lawsuit has been settled. The Orioles and Masson have agreed to pay the Nationals the approximately $100 million that almost every court that this case has gone to has ruled that the Orioles and Masson owe the Nats for kind of the back pay, the updated numbers basically for what they give to Masson in the TV deal where the two teams share a network. And it's it's all been messy since the Nats came to DC in 2005 and the Orioles, you know, wrote out the contract that because you're basically stealing some of our market share, we're going to get most of the money from Masson. But those days have changed. And you know, I get kind of both sides of the argument, but it just seems like billionaires arguing with billionaires and that's what it is. And when pretty much every court is saying you owe 100 million. Not that the US judicial system always has the right answers because quite frankly, they usually have the wrong answers as we've seen for, I don't know, forever. But when most courts are saying this, and it did seem a little unfair, I just feel like we're at the point where just pay the money and move on. So that's what's gonna happen, it seems. They're gonna get about a $100 million payout. However, first two things. One thing, 
I don't know the answer yet on how this is going to affect the Orioles, affect John Angelos, and affect the payroll. I'm pretty sure, though, Angelos is going to use this as an excuse to say, oh, no, I'm poor. I lost $100 million. I can't pay for any free agents or we can't make any trades at the deadline because I have to pay the Nationals. Can't wait for that quote to come out of John Angelos. He's going to be lying when he says that. But the other thing is, it's still not over. Like, this is, I think, probably good for both sides. This is finally happening. But it's not over because, remember, this was the big thing in the report. This payout is only for the five-year period from 2012 to 2016. They hadn't even started the conversations about what the payout would be for the next five-year period, which is 2017 to 2021. They're basically going to restart this whole process that took years on end to get to this moment. They have to do it again for that next five-year period. Now, because there's already a settlement here, it's going to make it a lot easier to show, okay, there's a number to work off of, and this should probably be quicker. But this could still be an ugly fight for the 2017 to 2021 payout. So we're not done. We're just about halfway there. And if it goes like it did last time, they'll still be fighting about this timeshare, basically. So we'll be fighting about this stretch when the next five-year stretch comes up, which would be the 2022 to 2026 stretch. But hopefully this means a lot of this can be over, or at least getting closer to be over. This might lead the Nats to be ready to sell once this is all said and done. But yeah, definitely some big time news. I mean, people smarter than me at the Washington Post, Baltimore Sun, Baltimore Banner, they're going to be writing about this. They've got a lot more details. Make sure to read that writing. But that's kind of your base level look at the lawsuit could be ending kind of soon, maybe if we're lucky. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for watching and for tuning in. And thank you for everyone who sent some kind words to me uh, this week on social media, those who know me who reached out as well. Um, big life week this week. Got engaged this week. That was why Tuesday's episode was a little late as well. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great moment. Um, and thank you to everyone who reached out um, and hopefully, hopefully that is not the only ring that uh, makes me happy in the city of Baltimore here in 2023. But that'll do it for today's episode. I'll be back tomorrow recapping game two between the Orioles and the Rays, hopefully talking about a quick little series sweep for the O's and get you any further details on maybe some roster moves or some more that would come out about this whole Masson lawsuit ordeal. But that'll do it for today's episode. Back tomorrow. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, and you dead.